Right. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever applies to you. Welcome to EuroLeague. And what's this? Doth <laughs> mine eyes deceive me? Or is that a camera I can see? Yeah, yeah. Finally invested. There it is. But what I would say, though, obviously, you know, while one mystery may now be solved, this still doesn't prove that you're Scottish, does it? So no, it doesn't actually. Mysteries yeah. still abound. Uh, I'm also joined today by Lucy, aka Angel Archer, who is uh, the scout slash analyst thing for uh, BDS, um, which at this specific moment in time could actually just be a zinger one-liner in itself, really, couldn't it? Uh, doing well otherwise, though, I hope, Lucy. No, I'm doing uh, very good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll see about that in about 15 minutes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, as is tradition, um, like to start off these shows with a lovely, light-hearted would you rather. This one, though, not that light-hearted, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so basically, what I want to know from both of you is would you rather, and I'll start with you, Kira, would you rather lose both eyes and one arm or lose one eye but both arms. Oh, the one's so beautiful. I, I'm actually just losing both arms. I'm taking it. I'm eating it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what yeah, about you, Lucy? Definitely. Keeping an arm? I might keep an arm. But to be honest, it doesn't actually sound that bad when you think that you might actually get a guide dog. And the guide dog can kind of change everything. If you're mm. blind, if you have no arms. Guide dog okay. can kind of help you out. So I think I, I would go for the one arm, maybe. Interesting angle. So blind, but one arm. Hmm. Mm. I don't know. I, I, see, the thing is, obviously, when anyone says, like, lose both arms, you just think, okay, brilliant, I can't do anything. <laughs> but to be honest, the idea of being completely blind and having one arm, I, I don't know. I, th I think I'm probably think I'm probably team one arm. No, sorry, team but then again, no arms, rather. Then again, they have the computer stuff now with eyes. Nah, that's so cheating. That's cheating. Cheating. Yeah. yeah. I'm, not gonna cheating? Get, I'm not going to get access yeah. to that. I'm working class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to make a good fun me out, bro. Yeah. You can't say both eyes and I'll get prosthetic arms, for example. That's, that's not fair. That's not happening. So, no, no. But yeah, I think, I think I'm definitely, definitely team not blind. I think that would just be oh, oofed. Anyway, speaking of things which are potentially disastrous or maybe even are disastrous, uh, obviously, uh, Lucy, and this is actually something I wanted to ask you about before we actually just dive neck deep straight into BDS. Um, while you've been working on LEC teams for the last, what did you say, six years, was it? Or working in esports for six years? Yeah, you've so also... I've been working yeah, sorry, go on. in esports for six years. LEC teams for four years now. And... You've also been working towards becoming a pharmacist. Like, when when did these two things overlap? Like, did the presumably I would imagine the pharmacy stuff. Like, did it happen first? Because obviously, most sort of medical based careers tend to be fucking long, really, don't they, to study for? <laughs> um. Yeah. So I decided to be a pharmacist when I was around the age of fourteen, fifteen, and then esports happened around the age of seventeen, eighteen. So pharmacy came first, and esports was kind of a side check I guess something on the on the side that I would just uh gravitate towards but pharmacy was always my one career path so esports is still the side chick then like in your perfect <laughs> world like imagine you know you could just pick or choose like the absolute perfect destination in either field like it, do you kind of gravitate more towards one than the other like where where is esports in your future if anywhere um 
no, I think even if I did have the option to go full-time in esports, I still would rather go full-time in pharmacy. I was full-time for a split as a manager, not as an analyst, so slightly different. But I think that split kind of opened my eyes to what it would be like to be full-time in esports. And it just kind of solidified that full-time in pharmacy just suits me more as a person and something that I would rather do for the rest of my life. Fair enough. So double thumbs down for esports. Fuck esports. <laughs> right, now let's talk about esports. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, right, so with as little tact as I usually have, let's just dive straight into it. Tell me, Lucy, what is wrong with BDA? Actually, no, let's start with Kira so you have something to respond to here. Kira, give me your rundown on BDS so far, this split. As after all, it's been, one could say, a, a historical split in, in some ways. Well, I'll put it in split. Of the shit teams that have been in EU, like, ever, like, you know, the absolute dog shit diarrhea teams, BDS actually, like, matches up quite well against them. <laughs> they're not as dog shit as some of the teams. As the record would incline, they are not Origin. They are not, like, the Schalke team of old, by the way. There is actually an upside to this team somehow, but their record is fucking appalling. <laughs> but th there's a beautiful thing about them, and I love them for it. They find themselves into so many like winning situations and I, it's actually just, I watch it and I'm just like, how are they going to lose? Come on, give it, give it to me baby, feed them the glory. <laughs> There's always something fucking crazy, like suicidal. It's like um, a Reddit solo queue thread, like, oh my teammate done this to me in a game. That's what's happening on LEC every weekend. Gold every single week. It's magic. Like uh, X Mackey missing backs, um, it's just beautiful. What a team, entertainment glory. Appreciate you, by the way, not bringing up H two sixteen, which obviously most people would have in that bracket of super elite teams to have graced our league in a historically bad manner. But no, yeah, Lucy. I mean, obviously, it's it's difficult uh, to sort of you know give a super open in-depth answer into the the misery that is bds but i mean if we're sort of you know yeah what 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 would be an appropriate thing that you could say about what you feel like has has maybe not gone quite right for you or let me frame it in a slightly easier way to answer like where do you feel you guys have fallen short compared to like some lec teams that split like what, what do you what do you think has generally not been going well for you guys um Obviously, my opinion might be slightly skewed because I'm not there with the team in Germany. I'm still in the UK, so I don't see necessarily every single day to day. But I, I do have, I guess, some insight of what's going on from when I have visited. And like um, your colleague said, I the scoreline doesn't necessarily like present how bad or how good of a team we are because we do end up somehow miraculously getting some leads in the early game and you know things go well for us but then it is the game of literally bingo with how are we going to throw today is it going to be barren nine times out of ten it will be is it going to be someone getting caught out is it going to be someone being greedy and it's just those things that you can't necessarily always practice for so in scrims you know you can pad down the first 15 minutes of a game you have a plan you have a strategy and then after 15 minutes it's so dependent on what has happened that it's really hard to plan and practice for especially with our scrims from the records I've seen and the VODs that I've seen they've not been the best productive wise 
So then that just means that in an LEC game, when we're obviously playing against better teams or teams that have practiced for longer, we're just so lost. You know, we get caught with our pants down basically and we just don't know how to take the game forward, how to carry the lead or how to even like claw back from a lead um, or from a deficit. So it just kind of shuts the book on ourselves in a way. Um, That's a great but... point, by the way, sorry, that you, you made before, which is like from a coaching perspective, and I guess in a way this kind of nicely, you know, alleviates some of the blame, but it is actually very true that you can basically craft in different metas like how to systemize early games like that is something you can do i mean a really obvious example obviously we, when we had probably in h2k during the peak like lane swap meta there were just very specific set things in a set order that you could just do one after the other but it reached a point in the game like most people would say 14 minutes now is when laning phase is over or whatever where right now you're on your own like to a certain extent organic things are going to happen that you can't fully legislate for in a pre-game and it is kind of on the players at that point. Um, so do you think that like maybe it's a, a, a communication thing, like an experiencing? Obviously, you know, there have been a lot of rookie players in and out of this in this lineup. Do you think that maybe, because as, as we've all pointed out, you know, you guys did get a lot of early leads sometimes. Do you think maybe it's just an experiencing, a, a nerve thing, a, all of the above? Why do you think that is? Communication? I mean, I think it's easy to pass it off as communication. You know, it's five different players. And especially in BDS, obviously, we made um, some player swaps in between spring and summer. We changed in Agressivo and uh, Eridote originally. So again, that's kind of an area where I guess things had to click in again and had to settle down. Um, but I think that it is also an experience issue. I don't want to say that it's nerves, you know, playing on stage because sometimes um, they go on stage and they actually, they play better than they do in scrims. So I think they're the players that, you know, under pressure, like shine, you know, some don't and some do. And I don't think nerves is something to factor in with these guys. I think it just is experience and kind of how I mentioned previously because we haven't come to these situations in scrims before they don't really know how to handle it or how to go about it so then they just become lost and kind of the enemy team just rolls us over essentially but I think it's one of those things that should come with time as the split progressed it should be something that we would have improved on and the players should have kind of um, gotten better at it but because of how scrims have been, I think they just kind of couldn't get up the hill to the improvement that we would expect from a team. Um, so they just kind of roll back down the hill, essentially, and now back to square one. Yeah, I mean, this is what Gilius said when he was on Size Select, actually. He said that every scrim versus BDS is over, like, one way or another in the early game. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Kira, get get a little bit specific for me. Say what she can't say. What do you think is, like, the main problem <laughs> area with this team? Uh, nuclear ants. Really, really bad at team fighting around objectives. Terrible spell usage. No, I'll give him his credit. I, like I was one of the like the doubters. Aggressive is actually really, really quite good. Like actually hopeful. He gives me hope that there is actually people who can play top lane in LEC. So <laughs> the, the, the the bloodline program can continue. But like ugh, the, every single time your team must have thrown five v four at Dragon the most of any team I've watched this year. It's impressive. Like it really, really is. How when you with a man advantage, you even find a way to lose. That is. 
actually, a lot of the time it's just like ability usage diff and stuff like that. Like when I was early in summer, you, like you were drafting um, Misfortune, like lots for Erdote and Xmati. And then they guys who nobody would think are like a great laning pair. We're actually winning 2v2s against like much more experienced and better bullet lanes. So we're giving you freebies all over the map and then you would show up at Baron and Dragon and X-Mati with like ultimate skull. Like that's the equivalence of what was going on. And I was just like, but but don't do that. Hold it and use use your spells better. It's just it's just really, really, really sad. It's object that you can make objective systematic like dragons and baron in terms of reset. But when you go from like team comp to team comp and you're against certain team comp, the shapes that you have to take up, like front to back, setting up front to back team fights, who should be on the flank, checking for flanks, like they're the things that in the moment are really, really hard to do consistently all, all the time. And you just get wrecked with it so much. Like the Fnatic game where you've almost beat Fnatic, the very first yeah. one, the one that, yeah, the four Baron, um, like two Elder game. But Wonder flanked, like, successfully, like, four times, and he just kept on, like, insta-giving and disrupting your team fight shape. But when you actually looked at your own players, that wasn't the main problem. It was because your actual own players were all standing in, like, really, really shit positions. There were just so many things, like, just feeding into it. It is a big... Like, you could easily just say, nuclear is bad, and be like, ha, 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 remove nuclear in. But that doesn't mean that you would actually just solve all the problems. It would solve some problems. <laughs> yeah, it solves some for sure. But but like you did, when you watch the games, nuclear isn't isn't dying like three four times to mid ganks, and then it's like mid roams attacking side lanes like every single game. That's not what's happening. Like when you actually watch BDS like lose the games, nuclear in is just awkwardly bad compared to the rest of the LEC at team fighting compared to his like peers. But like I don't know. Like does a nuclear in talk a lot on the team? Is he, like, a, a main voice? Like, a big, like, shot caller? Cursed term? It is a bit of a cursed term. <laughs> oh, it's an absolutely awful term. But anyway, you <laughs> no, so, generally, uh, if we're just going by, by summer, obviously, we're ignoring spring here because of the mm -hmm. changes. Um, Topside is very vocal, aggressivo and singer of especially, and nuclear does chip into that. Um, the bot lane tends to be more quiet and more reserved, at least when Erdote was part of the bot lane. And I guess um, with Limit, because obviously he was in spring. He's not the most vocal person, but he is more vocal than Erdote. But Nuclear is quite vocal in the game, but I think it also depends on, obviously, the game in itself. Is he on a carry? Is he on a supportive champion? Does he need resources? Does he not? So I think the level of communication can vary game to game, which is kind of normal, but he's not, like, dead silent, you know, just sitting there playing, like, so he can't be removed. That's that's sense. So we could remove nuclear nuclear from the team. He's not vital to like some sort of short calling component. So like yeah, maybe that helps it. But the egos, like as you're saying, Synchrov and Aggressive are the people that are talking the most. Are they the people that are talking the most around Dragon and Baron? Well, they need to shoulder some of that responsibility. Like if you're choosing to speak, hopefully what you're choosing to tell everyone better be good. Because if it's shit, then that's on you. If you're telling your teammates to do dog shit things, like. You have to bear the responsibility, particularly if they're more quiet members and you've like placed yourself like higher up in the team hierarchy of like, I'm going to tell you to do the, the correct things. And then like, you know, what I mean, those things don't work. The, the responsibility does end up with you. Obviously, I don't expect Lucy to actually answer or even nod to any of these prompts that we're saying, by the way. But I think it is good to, to you know, get get the. Yeah. No, and I obviously it's easy to point 
at any member of the BDS squad and be like, you're terrible, you should be replaced, right? But I do kind of want to defend Nuclear in a little bit because I feel like we did just kind of digging into the grave and I feel like, yeah, he didn't have the best split. But then again, the whole team didn't. And I feel like if you compare it to his summer performance, no, sorry, to his spring performance, I think his, in spring he did look a, a lot more solid. And I think obviously the team looked more solid then as well, potentially you could say. So I think it's just a product of the team members and like the environment and obviously the scoreline that could be impacting his play. So I don't want to just like dig him into the grave because like I said, it's very easy to like blame one member and be like, yeah, just replace him. But that's not necessarily going to fix the team because you still have poten potentially four other more problem players that you could look to replace as well, right? So it's not just looking at individuals, but you also need to consider the team and the team dynamic and how people integrate with each other. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a good point. Let's let's talk about who else we cut. No, I'm joking. Right, <laughs> obviously, uh, something else I wanted to ask about is obviously um, you and Grabs and Duffman. I think I'm right in saying that you all came over from G2, right? Yeah, uh, we all came over at the same time, but I wasn't announced until um, Summer Split. Yeah, so... I wanted to kind of ask you just a little bit, obviously when you're on those G2 teams, um, not the last split or so, but before that, you know, you guys uh, were there when um, obviously you guys were winning titles and so on. Um, can you just talk like a little bit about the difference in dynamics? Not like, well, Caps is obviously way better than Nuclear In, but like, you know, what, what was the vibe like playing on sort of a perennial uh, or coaching for a perennial winning team versus maybe how how the dynamic was slightly different on BDS. Like, were there any sort of meaningful differences? Did it feel like that, or or is it just League of Legends? I mean, I think it's mostly League of Legends. I think the G two guys were obviously like such a unique group of people because they were such good friends outside of the outside of the game, and they all lived together and they spent so much time together. Like outside of the game, that was very easy to like translate stuff into game like even if you like go to the restaurant for example they would be watching like league on their phone or something so it was just a big group of friends essentially and it was just good vibes but they were able to kind of separate work and friendship so if someone says something during scrims like they wouldn't be offended or anything and they would just talk it out get over it and then move on and be friends um in bds obviously i'm not there so i'm not sure if the same thing kind of applies but because it's literally just five people put together this year, the friendship level is not necessarily going to be that high. It's something that takes time to build. Um, but in terms of, I guess, my role in G2 and BDS is very different, which I guess makes sense because you had a team of veterans in comparison to a team of rookies. So obviously their needs and their wants are going to be very different. Um, and that has kind of, we've kind of need to adapt it myself, especially, but I guess grabs and duffman would as well because they've gone from teaching veterans to teaching rookies um but no the g2 squad were a special case i guess of of people and um like they're still good friends to this day really so just kind of shows how they worked well together really did you get a vibe on on G2 about who was sort of like leading that team in game? The reason why I ask is because I'm I'm curious because obviously you know when Jankos was on H2K, I mean I'll always say this of Jankos. In my opinion, he's like one of the best in-game communicators like ever in the West, if not <clears throat> the best. Was that was he the sort of de facto like in-game leader with with G2, or was it more of like a democracy or like how how was it going on? 
I think in any team, in the early game, that short caller is the jungler. Like, I think that's just the fact. I haven't met, I haven't worked with a team where the jungler just didn't short call the early game, you know? And then when you go to the later stages of the game, that's when it kind of separates out more and the carries kind of shine through. Um, Yankos was, again, that voice in the early game. And then outside of the game, let's consider 2020, where it was Perks as ADC or Caps and Perks as ADC with a swap. Um, Outside the game, Perks was very much, I guess, the the initiator or the leader, like, let's watch some games, let's talk this through, blah, blah, blah. So he was more the shot caller, I guess, outside the game and inside the game when it gets to, like, outside of laning phase. But in the laning phase stages is generally the jungler, in this case, Yankos, that kind of takes over and says, this is what I'm doing. Do you need me here? Like, what should we do? Should we contest this? Should we not? And I think... In my opinion, that is the gold standard, I want to say. That is how I think most teams should start out because the jungle is like obviously so important in the early game, especially, that it just kind of makes sense to make that transition until the carries can basically say what they want and or how they want to play the game. Okay. So basically Yankos in the early game and then Perks sort of more so contributing. Or, or Caps as well. Yeah, obviously everyone had a voice, but... In the early game, it was majority uh, Yankos, I'm going to say. And more about in BDS, because I think especially in spring, like from an outsider perspective, at least, it kind of seemed like, I mean, first of all, I think Syncroft had a very good spring. I actually think he was one of the better junglers in spring in general. But it also kind of seemed like he was the heartbeat. And if his heart stopped beating, the team just died, basically. Like from an insider's perspective, is there any truth to that? Or or what, what was the, di- how was the dynamic in uh, in game in BDS in that sense? No, I can kind of agree with your statement. Again, Sinkaroff is like a very talkative jungler, again, especially in the early game. And especially in spring when we had um, Adam in the top lane, he was a bit of a quiet player. Not saying that's like a bad thing and that's why he like he's terrible or whatever, but it was just like fact, like he, he was just a quiet player. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, at least in comparison to like Aggressiva now, who's very vocal. Um, but I would say like, yeah, kind of like you said, Sinkrov was the person to like get the ball rolling. And if I'm really sorry. <laughs> and if like things didn't get rolling with him, then it will be a bit hard for us to, um, to find those wins essentially. Okay. It makes sense. Um, right. Let's talk about some games. So there's been a bit of like a power dynamic shift i guess like in this last week it's actually pretty i mean this split's just been completely mental like it's just massive swings and yo-yos all over the place but i want to start by talking about vitality who obviously beat g2 and excel this split um i mean and somehow they've snuck their way up to joint second i think so talk to me on this kira a bit like what what did you see from vitality this week like are they evolving like what's what's going on are they quote unquote the super team now what the super team that they're like because the goalposts have been moved like they're not the the super team that they are but then not the the um the alfari is a shatter narrative is slowly dying like because that is like that will never die in my world. No, no, no. There's been a redemption arc, 100 percent. It was, it was actually just like the dip in the film, bro. You just didn't see it coming. You I can't, don't blame you. you. Can't you. Have a... 
You nearly trapped me as well, bro. You nearly trapped you me as well. You can't have a three-game redemption arc. I'm just going to say that. If he, if he carries on into... You can't bro. You can't in my films. You can't in my films. This is a scene. Yeah. This is a scene where the guy, like, goes to the airport to, like, convince her to not go home. But then in a magical twist, he actually does go home anyway. That's going to be Alfari. You'll see. End of the season, you'll see. Well, he's one of the only human beings that you should draft now for in LAC because he actually uses that champion how it's, like, supposed to be. Because... Well, their game, well, talk particularly about their game versus, um, was it XL was the first one? Was it uh, XL the first one? I think so. Yeah, where the, he just, like, blasted Finn off the face of the planet, and then they just, it was just the most, like, robotic thing ever. They just moved the lead from top side, <laughs> and it was just, like, ar like League of Legends arithmetic. Like, <laughs> XL didn't have an early game lead to, like, match it, and they got crushed slowly choked out and they done a, they actually done a bit of a rogue where they just like they're they are slowly just getting chucked out and they take less and less risks and like and they just slowly like die and it's like watching a beautiful flower just get clipped slowly with scissors it's like brilliant this is great do you think that there's like an element of vitality because i was kind of, i was kind of feeling this when i was watching them this week without actually really thinking about it too much or analyzing it deeply but do you think there's an element that they're just kind of playing more conventional They've just kind of stopped. For example, I feel feel like Alfari was part of the reason why I think he was not playing particularly well. Is I did feel like he had kind of all in on the idea of yes, playing for the team, but in essence, playing for himself and having that as his method of playing for the team. Now I just feel like they're playing like default League of Legends players, but they're all good. Is that like a, obviously that's a lazy analysis? But do you, is, do you think there's any truth to that? Do you think they've actually changed the way they play at all? Obviously, they changed a lot because Self made obviously got removed from the team, and their jungler now loves is that like more of like a herbivore than anything else. <laughs> what he loves to farm camps, but, but, but you better fucking believe he's gonna fuck full clear that jungle. And the, the, the other like the couple of upsides is is for Vitality from movement to movement. Carvey is still dies a lot for an ADC, but he is shitting out huge amounts of team fight damage and sometimes he does Jackie Love in and sprint yes. it down yes. and die but other times he is actually Mr. Magoo the magic man and he yeah. does carry unbelievably unbelievably hard like this there are some games where like Karzi's just damage per minute stat numbers are like obscenely insane it's just like how the fuck are the games looking this close when Karzi's playing like that perks Compared to like Spring, is having a much better independent, a, a much pe better personal split. His laning is still dicey as fuck, but the champion pool right now is actually better for perks. Like mid lane's champion pool is way, I think, way less volatile. So it's actually it's like an upside. And within that like volatility, perks has an advantage where he has like a larger like breadth of like um of like. Picks that he like, will feel comfortable picking. Like, Pegs is one of the few people that will actually, like, play, like, the Yone and stuff like that and, like, threaten with those, like, picks. And yes, they're not, like, optimal laning stages. He fucks up his wave, gets frozen on because he's a melee champ. But, like, yeah, it's, it's still fine. Like, he manages... The team fighting is sometimes in the positioning in the EU right now is so poor that he, he can basically just use, like, good like team fighting principles to find like openings and angles to like blow games like wide open like the um g2 game was i think it was, was he on aria that game was yeah, it aria or was Ari, he... yeah yeah i mean he was on aria and it was just it was just playing pickmaster perks 
Yeah, I thought that yeah. was actually, I was actually super surprised in the, the Ari game because I thought there was a touch of the I want to skill check myself against Caps with that pick, and I was like, eh, here we go. But he actually played it super legit. Like, yeah, he he did try try and take the trades, but the one thing I was set because I we did um view party uh with Thorin for that game. And one of the things I said to Thorin super early on, I said that I was like this, these two, especially those two and forbidden. That's the Holy Trinity of like ego checking in scrims. Like those three will just pick ego champs and go against each other all day long. Like no matter what, but super early on in that game, after he locked in Ari, I was like, Oh, here we go again. But then he like did a respect flash where I didn't think he would. He got like kind of caught trying to like, I think he's trying to clear a ward, but Caps sort of had the momentum in the lane and he was just forced to basically flash out. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Like maybe he's not going to do it. And then he had a mega game, like not going to lie. Like again, his laning phase wasn't like the best, but I think he was doing the reason why he picked the champ. He was getting picks all over the map. He picked caps off like 1v1 a couple of times. It was a super legit game. But yeah, Lucy, what, what do you think about... Uh, vitality and by the way just before you you say that i want to just ask you when this team was put together just did you think it would work or did you think yeah nice on paper but nah come on be a hater <laughs> i can't hate perks no um so spring i think i was a bit hesitant not necessarily like to put any blame on self-made because this is not just all on him but I was very skeptical of the bot lane, I will be honest. I know that they were together in um, big in the German league, but I just always thought that they were like a really big weak point for Vitality, especially in the spring. And then Alfari was just doing Alfari things. Like he was just getting leads in the lane, but that was pretty much it. It was just for show. Um, and then obviously Perks, he had a bit of NA ego, I guess, and he didn't realize he was back in EU versus EU mid laners. But I will say that obviously since they changed jungler and I guess they kind of had a reality check, they do look better. I will say I think um, the bot lane has died less 2v2, the split, at least in comparison to spring. So they are learning and they are getting better. Um, but I don't want to say that's only because of the jungler swapping. I think that's just them maybe putting in more effort or being more comfortable with the meta or just you know gelling more as a team um but i do think that they look pretty good at least now this is what i expected from them in spring when people said the word super team this is what i expected because i think spring was just a bit of a flop to be honest with you See, the, uh, it's actually, I had no idea. Maybe I knew once upon a time, but I actually had no idea that Kazi and Labrov ever played together before, which is a bit silly, really, because Labrov's my client, so I should probably know that. I actually had no clue, though. I don't think I've even heard anyone mention that in a, from a synergistic point. I think they won E-Masters together, if I'm not no, wrong. No, please, no. That's horrendous if that's true. I should definitely know that. Did that happen? I'm, nah. I might want to double-check that, but yeah, I'm pretty nah. sure they, no, they wait. did. No, 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 because no. Because no, I no. left big and then they joined. See, this is why we don't do live, Kira, because uh, the magic <laughs> if editing I'm, If I'm not me. wrong, I could be wrong, uh, but I'm pretty sure that they did. Oh, God. Let's see. Big. Oh, okay. I have to check. I have to check this. Where is it? Bean, Zazi, Kazi. Am I wrong? I don't think so. It's Kazi and Nuke. Uh, so new, but then Labrov joins. Shit, wait, 
So... You know what? I'll say I'll I'll check it afterwards, but I hope that's not true. <laughs> I, should, I should definitely know that if that is true. But uh, the other interesting thing with uh, Vitality is what they're going to do with Jungle because you've got this really weird thing where I think this kind of trajectory that Vitality were on, even after they switched out self-made, Vitality didn't look shit hot, like initially, like in the first week or so, they didn't look like any better than they were before. And then it was like, ooh, look what Bo's doing in solo queue, woohoo! Like this guy's gonna come in and 1v9 the whole league, blah, 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 whatever. And from what I understand, he is a bit of a solo queue wizard. But now that Vitality are on the trajectory that they're currently on, you would think it's probably madness that they do look to do a jungle switch. So, but who knows? Like, we'll, we'll get harder. But yeah. So, like, Bo's overrated. Bo's overrated, by the way. Like, because most people, like, didn't actually. When you go, you can go watch the 10 games he played in LPL. He is, you, and you can go and, like, deduce things similar from his play, and you can look at his soul queue. He is super fucking sick. There is no denying it. This guy is unbelievably, like, on the planet, no joke, one of, like, the sickest players, like, so like solo queue and like mechanically, I think he's off rules like ADC and he's like a wizard at that as well, right? But he has he has one hundred percent overrated because like Lucy was talking about uh, the gold standard is jungle, um, speaking in the early game, yeah, communicating but in the early game. Can't do that. You can't do that with Bo and Bo's mid laner was someone called I think it was Doinby. Hmm, I wonder who was doing all the chat. <laughs> I wonder who was talking in those games, guys. Well, we will see. What I would say is never put it past Vitality to make an interesting decision. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Now, another team, well, obviously, consequently, as part of Vitality going 2-0, XL kind of went the other way, didn't they? Uh, and what's also interesting about XL, I know this pains you, Kira, but they fell, oh, fell pretty far behind in both their early games where they've, you know, been so dominant. And my question to you, Kira, is do you think your boy Marcoon's been figured out? Is that what we're <laughs> taking away from this? If you actually, funnily enough, by the way, see if you go and go and like the jungle like heat maps, by the way, it's, I can't remember if it's blue or red side, he does the same path, he done like the same yes. path nine, nine games in a row. What a fucking chad though. Um, I saw someone posted that on Twitter and it's like, somebody's... What, what a giga, yeah. yeah, what an absolute giga chad. If it keeps working, don't fix it, but uh, if it stops working, you may want to change it. <laughs> nah, uh, there was a lot of like mitigating circumstances. For example, one of the games they lost wasn't it just the Mickey Nine like Nine Death game where he just Mickey just chain died like every single one. Oh, I'm that was versus Mad, no? Was that versus Mad? The, I, the, all the games blurred to one for me. Apologies. The Shinami game from last yeah, yeah. Week? Was oh that from last God. weekend? Yeah, it was last weekend. Uh, it was disgusting to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was absolutely. Oh, sorry, I was getting mixed up. But yeah, they that lost, was like one uh, of the ones. By, they lost to Vitality and uh who did they lose to vitality Which was no, they, lost to they lost to mad this yeah. week as well yeah yeah I, I, I did get the two so it was mad and vitality yeah, yeah. so um the pro the vitality was just finn diff like finn like forgot he was playing against alfari tried to stat check lane unlucky son learn your matchups next time um the next one oh so this was the mad line game sorry yeah the um Patrick got frozen off the wave for like 40 CS or something and Unforgiven, they were, Mad would have won that game in like 10 minutes if Unforgiven like knew what he was doing but he got like caught so many times by XL and they dro dragged this game out for ages. Yeah, they were not good early game because the bot lane fucked everything up. They decided to do, it was Nami Lucian into Draven. I thought that was so disrespectful by the way. They just yeah, blind was... pick Lucian with Draven up. I was literally staring at my screen like... 
the disrespect is real. The problem with this is, is uh, the, obviously the whole idea of like um, Nano Lucian is it's like this high priority kill threat lane, but Lucian's range is almost the exact same as Draven's. Um, Draven might even be a longer range, so when you're actually trading with him, he's shitting on you for 130 damage and you don't have the health pool to trade back. And you, so you just end up not having an effective, effective enough health pool to trade efficiently with the Draven. And so Unforgiven just got an unnaturally large big lead, and Mad actually fucked up moving about and taking objectives off the map. That was actually one of Mad's like worst, like early game, halfway through early game into mid game like transitions like ever. Like I was awful, and their mid game like pick priority around mid and protecting Unforgiven and Unforgiven's own personal play was terrible. Yeah. But it didn't actually matter because it was the the difference from the lane and the, the stats and the goal just was too much. I mean, Draven literally had a BF sword at four minutes. Yeah. He literally walked back to lane with a BF sword, 40 CS like, lead, and still the game took, like, what, almost 40 minutes. So, yeah. I don't know, Mad, like, really messed up somewhere, that's for sure. When you're scouting teams like this, like, for example, if you were you had to play XL that week, right, if that was your matchup, like... In terms of where you focus or like where what you typically like, I mean, I guess don't give too much away. Ah, fuck it, you guys can't make playoffs, whatever, just say whatever <laughs> you want. But uh, like, would you typically look, for example, at someone like Markoon and be like, he's their biggest strength, so how do we shut them down? Or do you more look at it from the perspective of they're super weak here, so we're going to try X? Like, are you usually trying to match up to them or are you usually trying to be like just better at playing league in that sense? Like, how does it work when you scout teams? Um, so I'm going to say from the time that I was at G2, because, um, with BDS, because we don't have the basics down, scouting particular teams and like trying to min-maxing isn't going to be beneficial for them. So I generally just do like, yeah, just basic scouting, like how to play around Drake, how to play around Herald. But when I was in G2 and, um, we actually did scout teams for like the min-maxing points, then I would kind of look at the overall picture. So I would look at jungle pathing in the early game, you know, and like your colleague said, right? Markoon doing the same pathing nine times in a row. I'd be like, oh, look at that, guys. You could totally invade him here, you know? But we would also look at, yes, that they are really strong around this lane and they're really weak around this lane or they're very strong around this Herald or this Drake or blah, blah, blah. So it'll be a mixture of both. And then depending on, I guess, the draft that we have set up or how we wish to approach the team would be whether we want to attack their weaknesses or to be like just a better team in general it kind of depends it's just something that because g2 was so good it's just like the little things that they would just remember in the middle of a game or just like saying like oh markoon's gonna be here at this time or be careful bot lane because he could be flanking through here because he's done it before right so it's just like these little things that in the game could potentially like sway it and that's what i did when i was in g2 i was just min maxing that essentially I just love the idea that it's like you come from G2, you show up on day one. It's like, ah, guess we need to teach the boys how to kick the football first, don't we? <laughs> like, that must be a, yeah. a, a fun coaching reality check. Uh, another team, smooth transition here, who had a bit of a reality check was Rogue, who also went 0-2 uh, in what was actually theoretically a pretty easy week for them. I mean, they dropped games to Misfits and, yeah, and Astralis. I mean, I guess there's like no easy games in LEC now because everything's so close or whatever. But, you know, these aren't sort of world contending teams that you, we would think. Uh, and, you know, the obvious meme here, 
I would say is that as soon as Rogue basically did that horrible maths that you and me tried to work out last week, Kira, for how to get to Worlds, they realized they get a world slot and they just fucking panic choked that... their own razor cake, didn't they? Like, oh shit, fuck, these games, actually mean, these games actually mean something now. But um, yeah, I mean, the Misfits game was a bit of a banger. That was like 45 minutes or whatever it was, wasn't it? But Rogue did look very sloppy. And the Australis game was just a straight stomp. I think they just oh. got absolutely wrecked from start to finish. So, uh, Kira, is there reason to be concerned for Rogue? Or is, fuck it, is it just a couple of bad beer no, ones? From spring, the very first day of spring, I'm not joking, there's always a fucking reason to be concerned with Rogue. Because the, the problem, at, like, first of all, at, within a week of seeing Balram play in spring, you just knew there was going to be these problems, and they never ironed out. These problems have existed here forever. This guy, like, watching Xerxes dismantle Malrang in that game was beautiful. It was actual, like, I was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, because it just didn't matter that his mid laner was Dejo or another guy's mid laner was, mid uh, uh, was Larson. That was irrelevant to the equation. Malrang just sent it so hard. And just his decision making was so shit that Xerxes just fucking pile drive them the full game. It was what, like four camps off of, like Malrang covers the bot gank, and then Xerxes four camps them using Dejo and mid pressure invasion with invasion from Ari and double skulls them or something. It was amazing. And Odo has decided that after my talk with him, that GP with a 68% win rate isn't for him. That he's going to be a 44% win rate NAR guy. And he's going to die in that hell. I know what, fucking, you try your king shit, mate, but it's not going to win you games, bro. Like, it's just not going to win you games. I mean, that to me was kind of the disturbing thing, which was that the solo laners for Rogue are usually, you know, that sometimes Rogue sort of win in spite of what's going in in jungle or whatever, but you can always rely on the solo laners. And this week, at least, I mean, both solo, especially Otto, to be honest, but both solo laners were pretty suspect. I mean, Lucy, when, you know, as an analyst and as someone who's worked with, obviously, a team who was very good and got always got over the hump, as Rogue being a team who are, you know, for the last couple of seasons have been very good, but failed to get over the hump, what, what do you think it is that's prevented them from like just ticking over the top and be actually being able to win titles? Like, What is the difference? I think, so if you look at each individual player, I think Odo Omno is probably the most solid player in the team. And I would say that he carries the games more often than not. Not necessarily if he's like on a carry, but even if he's just on a tank. I think malrang is just really underwhelming i know he came in the spring and everyone was like oh mid split mvp malrang he's so good the lck or lpl i'm not sure which one he is you know but he just is very easy to figure out and i think that's a really big problem especially in this meta like yes he can play trundle but you know you can only play trundle so many different ways and i just think it becomes so predictable and then you have Larson who um, don't get me wrong he's a solid player he's very good but he does seem to have these choking moments especially in like high pressure situations that I don't want to say like he's the reason why they're losing the game but it obviously doesn't help them and then their bot lane is just fine it's just there it's just kind of doing it like doing his thing comp could pop off or Trimby could just roam everywhere I just think that they're just a solid team, but I don't know. There's just nothing that kind of wows me about them. They're just so predictable. And I know that this is like the old 
joke with Rogue, right? Like, oh, Rogue are so boring to watch. They are the macro gods, you know, they play everything by the book. It's so hard to, like, close out the games against them. But I don't know, maybe it's just the patch where there's more fighting or the teams have just gotten so used to them that they just need something to kind of spice it up a little bit, you know? They're so predictable that, I don't know, they're just... I think Maorang, same old, same old. Yeah, I think Maorang was meant like initially when he came in and it kind of went one of the two ways that people thought it would go, which is either he'd just be terrible because he's like not that great or whatever, or he'd initially be really good and really unpredictable and crazy because that was kind of his play style, but then eventually it would slightly get figured out. I think it's yeah. obviously certainly much more towards that end. What I would say is, first of all, Maorang has balls of steel and i like the fact that this guy never gets oh. he never gets like deterred by anything that happens on the rift it's like even if it's going fucking bad he had the, this manic game plan in his head from like day one he doesn't give a fuck he's just still gonna pursue it to the end he'll never pussy out of anything but having said that and obviously as an individual player again like i can imagine he's good to have on your team in solo queue or whatever but he's ultimately i think not a great jungler in the lec if we're being honest like <clears throat> he's not like a top top tier jungler that's not to say that he's bad or anything and as i said balls of steel mechanically very competent but yeah it's it's as you say like every other element of rogue is so predictable in terms of how they play that you kind of want that spark to come from like your jungler or support and their synergy has never been great in my opinion trimby and maorang and Maorang had that kind of weird off off the wall spark or whatever. But actually, if you delved even just beneath like surface level, you saw that it wasn't actually like some manic unpredictability. It was just a play style that he decided to opt into that people hadn't seen before. But now they have seen it. And now even people like fucking Zanzara can just literally reverse engineer it and be like, ha ha ha, now I look like a competent human. Like it's 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 not a great look. So yeah, I think that is an issue and even i would even say like again i'm not the rogue gm or whatever but honestly to me the next change they should make if they make one is jungle again like when i look at it why like, not the coaching staff well, they, well these guys I... skate these guys skate on the thinnest dice i've ever seen any other coaching staff would have been sacked uh, just out of like proxy principle i don't know if they're good or not you'll know them so much better than me by the way right you'll know if these guys are actually good but any other coaching staff would have been like just out of principle just because we can't blame the players because their contracts are like hundreds of thousands we'll get around with the coaching staff this... and freshen it up that way this is no, all... but I... yeah, go on i will say sorry to compare to last year rogue where they had inspired right so they had inspired in the jungle and he carried a lot of their games but if you actually look at the two teams side by side yes okay the jungle is a big difference but nothing else of the team has kind of changed and they're still not getting better like even in um last year like Trimby and inspired never went off together larson still had these choking problems you know oduamne was solid on tanks solid on carries and handsome was i guess the late game carry similar to larson but it's clear that these players didn't change you know they didn't get better let's say better they still have the same problems as they did last year so blaming it just on the new guy is i think kind of unfair because you can't just expect them to come in and oh. fix everything you know, like the other players have to improve and get over their weaknesses. And it's clear that they haven't done that so far. Yes, I guess you can blame the coaching staff. 
But as a coaching staff myself, there are just some things that you can't change because the players are stubborn. The players are children, as I like to say, and you tell them to do one thing, they say, no, I'm not going to do it now. So players have to kind of take some responsibility for becoming better themselves rather than the coaching staff having to spoon feed them every single time. So I do kind of agree. Maybe there's a problem with the coaching staff, but I'm not there. I'm not a fly on the wall. I can't see. But you do have to kind of look at each player individually and say, you didn't really get that much better. Yeah, that that is fair. But I would also say I agree with Kiro because, and this is I argued with Thorin about this on side select because he he wanted to put the Freddie or whatever as co- I can't. Remember. I think we did a coach of the split award once where he wanted to give it to Freddie, and I was just like, his argument was, look at the consistency. Ever since they've come in, they've been like top three, top three making finals, and I was like, yeah, but they've been favoured in at least like two of or three of these runs to make it. And every time during best of series, there's been like zero adaptation and the other team has just like slowly figured them out and beaten them. So yeah, again, I don't know. I don't know Freddie well at all. Like, I don't know the ins and outs of the day to day. So it would be unfair for me to say like how like proportionally where the blame is. But I do agree. Like I think that your money as it were is made in the playoffs if you're a coach of like a good team. And I feel like, the proofs in the pudding in best of fives rather than how many wins can you accumulate in random BO1s. Like that's just my personal perspective. Um, but also, yeah, with, with Maorang, again, it's difficult. He came from Korea. Like I don't want to, again, put the guy in a position where it's like all on him or something because it's definitely not. As I said, even Otto was horrible this week. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a case that if you were like looking at the five players, like in my opinion, where there's like the biggest disconnect. And again, it's unfair because in jungle, that's by definition your role is to be the connector right so yeah but i i think that he's not been um special let's say um i don't think rule can ask for a better meta than this like in terms of like champions like what what yeah, he's still playing it though, isn't he? But he can still yeah. play, he, can, he still gets to play Azir, and and he's prioritizing. He must think it's good. Like we can evaluate it completely differently, but he evaluates it like differently to us. Like you've got Trimbe has access to all the enchanters. You have Comp has now got Sever added to the meta, along with like the rest of the ADC pool that he was still fine on. And Odo Am needs like the top lane pool is pre- pretty great for Odo Am there. And then obviously, like Malran doesn't have like a prehistoric. Well, for me, I, I don't know. It doesn't have a pre like historical like champion pool of like comfort and stuff. But this is a lot. Of, and the game is like Europe is obsessed with Baron and Dragon setups, which sets you up for like five v five team fights like all the time. You like they just everyone just opts into them for a fucking giggle, right? And like rogue, that's what rogue, rogue drafts like to windows, and they still look dicey as fuck. Like think about all the early game. Uh, early season games like the what the free win they got off of Mad because they sniped Elder Drake by accident, or like the SK Gay Gaming where SK SK were like five thousand golds up on them and they won because someone was three people were recalling Mid and they killed them. Like these are not good principles for beating the teams you're going to face in playoffs because hopefully they won't be doing that there. And even it, like Rogue's a team that shouldn't be aspiring to just win EU LCS. Again, we've moved the goalposts. Like, yes, they need to get over that hump, but this is a team that we're potentially going to be sending to the world. I don't know if you've seen the rest of the regions, guys. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good with Rogue. Yeah, I think the thing with Rogue is ultimately the way I'd put it, and this is, again, obviously a super lazy way of putting it, but if you're solo laners, uh, Oddo and Larson, and if you just look at their 
pure like lane performance apart from anything else over the last two years it's such a fucking good foundation to build on and i feel like you just have to make it work like having two people who can basically play like anything or even if they can't play it they can make it work to the to the tune of like getting lane pressure whenever they want or being a reliable uh, and not a weak spot on your team every single fucking game basically you have to make it work you have to put the pieces around them to make it work and obviously coach up the team to where it can work and you can at least get one bloody lec title because yeah to me that's just gold to have otto and larson on your team at the same time is like a fucking privilege in my opinion um but obviously i'm a bit biased in that sense as well um but anyway cool so moving on to some news this week which i wanted to get your quick thoughts on which is obviously a new lec commissioner got announced mr artem bykov which i misread as artem lobov the first time i saw it it's before it was a M mma journeyman um but anyway so my question here is very simple obviously this news itself is fairly meaningless it doesn't really mean shit if you actually read the article the guy that was there before has got like a quasi promotion to i essentially get like a 10 percent pay rise instead of a five percent pay rise and this guy's taking his job but what i wanted to hear from you lucy is as a insider where what areas because again i'm not gonna read the quotes word for word but basically says we're here for the players we're here to make the league better we're here to make everything better what changes would you like to see the league provide like what kind of support do you think that the players need from riot which they're not getting or what changes would you like to see that you just think would make the league quote unquote better that's a tough question actually <laughs> um I mean, I know that obviously there was a whole meme about making like best of threes in the league or whatever, but I'm not sure that's possible and I'm not sure if that'll be that beneficial, I think. Would you even, like if you had the choice, like say the league was uh, going live tomorrow and you could play BO1s, BO2s or BO3s, like what, what, what would you instinctively want to do? I would want to try BO2s first. I think maybe just that one more game might, I don't know, make it better. But in the long run, I don't know if that's necessarily going to make a difference between like us winning Worlds versus the LCK or the LPL teams. Because that's basically why they say, oh, make it be free because that's why LCK and LPL are winning, you know, because they have more games or blah, blah, blah. So I think it'll be just interesting to see if it, I guess, makes a difference. But because I'm not a player myself, right, I wouldn't know how that would impact me. Like, how would that impact um, the week will I be more tired will I get better practice will I actually feel like I'm improving so that's something that I would want to try but it doesn't necessarily impact me directly so it would be hard to see if it's actually successful or not um, I know that the league does have like a I want to say player council but I could be wrong where like yeah. one member from each team yeah. meets I don't know how often and they kind of discuss things not very but I'm often. not sure yeah, I want to say maybe it's like once per split or something. If but that, I'm I not think sure. it might, it yeah. might actually be once per year. I know Oddo's on it. I, I, it might actually be once per year. I'm not sure. I mean, if that's the case, then I think that needs to be more regular. But again, I'm not even sure if like the issues raised in this are kind of looked into, um, or if they are, if they've done so in a timely manner, because. I think because the league is like so condensed, it's like eight weeks, and then you have playoffs. Say someone does like raises an issue like the second week by the time it gets to the higher ups and then they have a solution and then the players accept that solution we're already into the next year right so there's clearly like a disconnection between the players and i guess riot um in like hearing what they want if they want anything changed um but i mean for the league itself i think 
maybe could try BO2s. Maybe there'll be a difference. Will it? I'm not sure. Um, and just, I guess, having more connection with Riot as to what the players want in the game. Yeah, so from the, I can tell you as someone who lived through the BO2 era of uh, LEC, it was not, it was not good. It was no. No. It was, sh- it was terrible, beyond belief. The thing is, it, it, there's obviously it's multifaceted, right? First, you have like yeah. the viewer experience, which is what is most important to Riot. And I, I reel this story out all the time, but I remember being in an owner's meeting where Riot drew a graph. It was basically a straight line graph. And on one side of the graph, this sounds like a meme, by the way, but this is true. I promise you, this is exactly what it what, what it was. It said sports integrity. And then on the other side of the graph, it said WWE. And there was a little LCS, uh, EU LCS at the time logo, yeah. which was like 80% of the way towards sports integrity. And they, they said, right now we're here where we want it to be is here and they moved it all the way over to wwe so they're basically like we want the league to be wwe which by the way as ridiculous as that sounds i kind of agree with from like a business model that that's yeah. like makes sense and that was the split after we were doing bo2s and then it went back to bo1s and they were basically using this to explain why it's going back to bo1s and not bo2s from a player perspective as well the players were very sort of dissatisfied for the most part but from mainly from like when you're on stage you lose the first game, then you win the second game, and the team are like, "Oh, I know we'd win if there was a third game." They always came off like, "Oh, it's so on, like so, yeah." yeah. And, and the thing is, even if you're playing, if you're playing Bo3 or Bo5 or whatever, and you lose, no one really says that. Like, no one's really comes off stage like, "Man, if only we had like two more games in a best of seven. Like, people generally accept that if you lose a Bo5, it's because you deserve to lose in in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, it, it really wasn't great from either perspective. Though I do agree from certain like ana- analytical perspectives bo2 is actually the best in certain models for that but yeah having lived through it really not great i think the point the other point you made i think is absolutely spot on and it's definitely should happen slash needs to happen which is there needs to be way more fluid communication back and forth between riot and specifically the players and what i would say is even certain things that the players maybe won't vocalize themselves but clearly what they need for example mental health right like the amount of people who play league or on teams who are clearly on the spectrum or some way shape or form maybe diagnosed maybe not diagnosed who need help and don't get it and again obviously you can say oh but that's on the team so they should provide the nonsense like so many of these teams that have like sports psychologists these aren't even fucking real sports psychologists and it's at the discretion of how much they want to budget for it and how you know much they actually want to really invest resources into providing that as a real service or just ticking a fucking box right i mean weldon green was parading himself around the western league of legends for like five years this guy was a complete fraud right i think that riot needs to get hold of that situation and obviously as well you're you're creating sort of a a quasi a a quality of access there as well if you're providing a service that every player can uh, dabble into and use so i think especially things like mental health especially things like physiotherapy and and uh you know helping with wrist and carpal tunnel and back and posture and all these kinds of things i think is super important and as boring and as much that the players will hate it and again this is one of the reasons they won't bring it up themselves i think it is super important and i think it's really important that this isn't just done in-house this isn't like psg where you have like literal hospitals of staff who are like at your disposal and you can know and trust that these people are the best a lot of the time people are hired is because they want to do some fucking reality series or something and want to see people doing like fake yoga in the backyard you know like it's not the same right it's just not the same so i think it'd be really good if stuff like that was provided for by riot but as i said and as you said the problem is 
they, there aren't enough of these conversations and by the time you have them it could be a split or a year before they they even come around um for you uh kira if if you could see i mean do you think obviously you're somebody who has watched a lot of lck and obviously L, uh, lpl as well do you think that bo3 had would have forget the viewership stuff for now do you think it would make any meaningful difference to western league uh, it makes a difference to like um coaching staffs it's like good, actually better practice probably for coaching staffs because it teaches you like a draft ad adaptation like skill set you know like people like say you have it in like scrim blocks, but people have you have very different ideas when you're on like stage under pressure, um, than you do. The thing I would like mainly focus on is, and this is like my biggest takeaway from like League of Legends, is that the leagues themselves are actually dog shit. They're terrible. Like actually, just league systems, fucking like suck. They really do. They're fucking because you get the same amount, same amount of good games and like like bad games because you're only the good teams are only going to meet each other like twice a year like i watched the lpl i had to stop watching the four, bottom five teams in the lpl play each other it's just tragic it's terrible i can't i used to be able to do it i can't barely watch any of na anymore i can't watch the bottom half of like lck anymore it's just so fucking terrible it's that it's just the games are just boring and unless you've got an investment in those storylines then like, then you're going to care. I'm not joking. Like, somehow, the Koreans actually did have it cracked in OGN 2013 and 2014, where you had the um the OGN splits. Yeah. Uh, like, the, the GSL groups. Thing, yeah, yeah, the tournament bracket. Like, the GSL groups into double... Uh, into You could then do GSL groups. They'd done single limb, but you could do it double limb, and you would get... All, like And you don't need to eliminate that many groups, so the lower teams get to play BO5s more a year, and the lower bracket, they would still get the same amount. Like, you would, if you'd done, like, three tournaments instead of, like, spring, you know what I mean? You would, there would actually be, like, storylines, like, okay, we all laugh, like, BDS, you know, being, like, 1 and 12. But, like, what about the time the BDS runs through the lower bracket and, like, you know what I mean, they put out, like, I don't know, like, SK Gaming, and, you know what I mean? That's a storyline that week, you know what I mean? Like, oh, BDS finally beat a team in the lower bracket. You know what I mean? And then that's an achievement for the players, and then they play another BO5, because BDS is now going to play zero BO5s this year, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Well, what the fuck? Like, this is, this is madness. Like, best of five League of Legends, the thing that crowns you as the world champion, the thing that literally decides what we qualify as the best teams in the world, is the least used, like, aspect and format in League of Legends. It's fucking crazy. That's my biggest takeaway. And I know Riot are never going to come round to my way of thinking. They're, they would like find it like utterly appalled. But I'm not joking. If you took a leap of faith and you went to like a, a more of a tournament-based system, even just for spring, you can have a league for summer because it can be like a you know what I mean like tournaments, then MSI, then you come back and you go into a league system. But my God, it's fucking watching the leagues all the time getting really, really boring. It doesn't matter if it's BO1s, best of threes, BO2s, split them into two groups, have them fucking play against each other once, then they, like, you split the groups in half. You can think of it all you want. People want to see the really good teams play each other the most often. The viewing metrics tell you that. Um, what's it, like, what are, like, the viewing metrics? You, you quoted it out, uh, Rich. It was, like, the viewing metrics for, for one of the games, wasn't it? Like, Riot... Eh, like Fnatic versus G2 or is it something else? Oh no, it was CS, wasn't it? You tweeted out. Oh yeah, but the, also um, to your point, uh, G2 were in the uh, top viewed games in the West of like four out of the five games, which again, yeah. and some of them were like meaningless, meaningless, shitty games. So it's like 
yeah, when the best teams are playing, people watch essentially, which yeah, should, exactly. should, should be should be obvious, I guess. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And the thing is, is that you can even stack the upper bracket that, like, in a way that, like, some of the lower teams are de- going to make it into like the upper bracket, and so you would get. A best of five, say you're at SK Gaming, you're going to get a best of five against like G2, like maybe once, right? That's better than like the two times you play them in the, what do you call it, in the LAC regular split. And you're actually playing for something meaningful because at the end it's like a tournament, you know what I mean? You're actually playing, you're under pressure. Like league games, like the actual like league games teach you nothing about handling pressure unless they were A, relegation, which is why everyone watched them, because it was carnage, because people just folded under pressure, and some people just couldn't hack it, or B, if it's like the team like trying to like crawl their way into like the sixth position for like playoffs in like the LAC or something like that, and those games get way more like views. Think about tournament system where that game literally happens either like every other week or like every other day. It's a no-brainer to me, because I, I see it so much in other esports, because I come naturally from Doha and so it's like the when I come to like I've been in league the entire time but like when I come back to league I, it's just like a reality shock of like holy shit this is bad yeah I think the the best system I've seen which I'm advocated for but <clears throat> I don't think will happen is NLC used to do a weird little system oh no not the t- not the, t- uh, the king of the hill system I love if it you beat- no, bro, bro, that's awful. That is an awful system. But every game means something, though. That's what I like about that system. Every game means something. You can chop my finger off if you beat me. It'll make it mean something. It doesn't mean it's going to be a healthy format but or think, something, bro. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah, well, this is the thing, though. It's not. A, it's the, so where I'm coming from, it's not so much about um, what is best for the region or anything. I'm purely now thinking of it from the entertainment for me, my me, Rich, my personal entertainment is that Whenever, and this has been like since day one when in the EULCS, they used to have and they still have do have now, they've gone back to it, this fucking Team X plays Team Y and it just goes down, down, down the list and it rotates in the round robin they have now, right? There are so many games I just really do not want to watch, but I kind of do because I think if I don't, I'm being a bit irresponsible. Like, that's it. Like, I fucking hate these games. I don't want to watch... Sorry, Lucy. I don't want to watch BDS play SK. I don't. Do I? I don't care about this game. The only reason to watch it is I'll turn on at 21 minutes. Are they throwing at Baron? Okay, no. Off it goes again. Like, I don't want to watch these fucking games. They're so boring to me. But if it fed into some kind of King of the Hill or mini, like, knockout bracket thing, then I'd watch that's fun. Like, it means something. Not Like, whoever comes 8th or ninth or 10th doesn't mean anything. Especially now, as you say, because yeah. there's no relegation. It literally means nothing. There is means nothing. nothing. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's awful. completely pointless. And if, you know, you go, for example, pulling this out of uh, thin air, who knows? 1 and 12, let's say. Then who knows? Maybe the last ten, uh, two weeks of your season, you're not playing for anything either, are you? So, yeah, I, I just think it's an inherently broken system. But anyway, speaking of broken systems and terrible teams, TSM potentially joining the league as we heard misfits sold their slot to heretics this week i'm not going to ask you guys about heretics because i don't think you guys probably have much particular insight on heretics they're just a very big spanish very big spanish org obviously they're number one in lvp right now um they're all right i guess they're not going to win eu masters but anyway they're going to do what every stupid team does and they're going to be like 
give the rookies a chance. And by the way, I know this is like a popular narrative thing or whatever, but sometimes you really do need to identify who are actually the good players on your team and keep those one or two guys and just boot the fucking dead weight. Because if you go into that league, if I see Heretics next season and it's the fucking LVP roster, forget about it. That They go straight into the, the collection of I'm not watching you play. They, they won't do shit. There'll be another BDS. Anyway, uh, so... Yeah, the rumor is obviously that the selling is not done yet and that other LEC teams most likely will be selling their slots. I'm not going to say who or whatever because, you know, I'm cool inside a guy, but I do actually know. So I only say that to just confirm there is a very real possibility that teams will sell. It's not just fucking gas in the clouds. Um, so, yeah, my question to you, I'll start with you, Lucy. In terms of like the TSM angle, is that something that actually excites you? Or do you think like oh, EU should be EU in that sort of sense? Like having an NA all come over to LEC, that doesn't really feel right. Like, Or do you just think, fuck it, it's TSM, that would actually be a banger? Um, I don't have any opinion on TSM. I'm not hyped about them. I don't really care for them, to be honest. So I'm just going to treat it as an NA organization joining EU. And um, no, get out. This is our region. You have your like your own yes ours is better but like please stay in your lane um oh, it could be nice because you know like cross of like viewers and stuff but realistically most people that watch um na are gonna watch eu anyway so i just don't really see much profit except that you're just taking a spot away from an eu organization which i think like, there's more negatives to it than there are positives. That's how I view it. So you'd and rather see a K-Corp, for example, than a, a TSM? I was thinking about K-Corp, and I don't think that, like, personally, I don't think that they would go fairly see. But, yes, like, a K-Corp, like a Koi, like, I don't know what other teams there are, like, yeah, Heretics, for example, or just any other organization, because we are kind of lucky in EU that we have so many good regions, um, like ERLs, and we have so many countries that it's just kind of like a slap in the face to them. Like, yeah, we know you're in in this continent and you know you're working for us in a smaller region, but you can't really, you know, promote back up because we're going to sell it to NA because they have more money. So I think for me, it's just really sour and I, I wouldn't be happy as an org in EU if Riot were to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I didn't really think of it from from that perspective particularly. Fun little fact, by the way, I don't know if this is true, but... It certainly used to be the case that most of the North American viewership was from Europe. Like more Europeans were watching LCS than Americans. There was a time, yeah, there was um, a time really? that was true. I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't know if that's still true or not. That's like a stat yeah, from like a few years ago. Um, what What do you think, Kira? Would you Would you want to see TSM or what, how do you see it? Alec. Uh, like obviously I have no background information, but this kind of looks like the power play that um G two and that done. Remember, like G two applied for the NA yes. like franchising league. I don't know if TSM have applied for this just to like fuck with Riot to try and get things like maybe like moving behind the scenes or like deals and things behind the scenes at Riot. Um, cause I don't think Riot just to salvage NA. I don't think because Riot can enable them like block any move and enable any move they want, yes. even if like. TSM were paying like four times the figure. I don't think they were ever they would ever okay this move. They would just not unless you know what I mean. TSM were like not blackmailing, but it could be blackmailing. You know they're like um leveraging them. Leveraging them. There you go. A nice word so we don't all end up in like fucking court. Um, 
There's that. The other thing, the problem that has, and you can ask, like, look at the history of esports. Was Immortals, with the v- very, one of the very first VC groups that came to, like, NA, was yeah. that good for the region? Did that have a positive effect on the region? For the players, um, yes. But it increased the, sal- the, the salaries so high that basically only, like, VC-backed teams and or, like, uh... Like, I think it's basically only VC-backed teams can basically compete in NA. You can't have, like, a NA homegrown, like, country org. It has to be a venture capitalist. They have to have a huge amount of, like, back liquidity because the player salaries are so high. Now, if TSM comes into EU, they have a, they can threaten to be like the Immortals and spend it in such a way that other teams cannot match. And if other teams do attempt to match, you would see, th- like, a price salary hike in EU. I, like yes, that's good for players. Like I'm for I'm pro those types of things for players. But is that a sustainable thing for EU as a whole? That's like one. Of, that's just one of the, like the side concerns. I can see like history repeating itself. You know what I mean? From one time one time period to the other. I don't. I just don't think TSM would be would be joining EU. I think it just looks like a like a fuck you power play. Yeah, I think, I think that definitely could be the case. Um, in terms of TSM spend power, I mean, this isn't, I guess, about their power, but in terms of their spend, they're actually one of the lowest spending in NA, but I think that's out of choice. I think, yeah, that, I think... they yeah, they decided to, if they weren't like directly competing for like, I don't want to say for world championships, but if they weren't competing like heftily internationally, they just decided to like massively cap, cut back, especially because they're spending so much in other areas. Um, in terms of like the Immortals thing, one thing that really pet peeves me is when people say like oh you shouldn't blame noah or immortals because if he didn't do it someone else shut the fuck up you don't know you simply do not understand what this guy did he didn't go in and overcut everyone's price like the fucking price is right he came in and literally instantaneously was offering three to four x the top salaries immediately in na which were already higher than they were in eu this guy was a fucking idiot to give you some exact context teams like curse and this was just as curse was like going to team liquid they were paying ha 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 5.5 but they were paying like 5.5 on on aggregate and salaries and then uh, mortals came in and were making offers around 14 to 16,000 per player right so they did not just you know it's not it's easy to say oh yeah someone else would have come in no they lifted the bar so fucking high that i actually think it altered the entire course yeah. of uh of western economics in league of legends so as to whether that was a good thing or, or not undoubtedly for long-term sustainability and viability of course it was fucking terrible for players yeah it's great and for me personally now in position i'm in yeah great it's great as well but yeah most likely not not a wonderful thing that that little rodent contributed to our scene um but yeah in terms of question rich just curiously can any orgs open up secondary teams in the lower leagues of eu like an eu master could they like can they create eu second tier orgs put players under contract right play in eu masters and then like talent farm eu then transfer that contract from that team to the mothership team in na so are they allowed to do that so i don't know categorically but i'm gonna say almost certainly no for two reasons one because they would have done it like if you if that's allowed and you haven't done it you're a fucking idiot like let's think it that's what that was an angle i was thinking like i I was was, like thinking of like because like why would you not test the waters 
it would and kill academy. Really- it would ki- it would kill academy even more than it's already dead. Like that's the other thing. Like there's no there's no way that the bylaws would allow for that. I think. And as I said, if they do, then it's insane that that hasn't happened because that would be the most obvious thing to do and you have a consistent you know far- farming capability yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's no way it's allowed as i said i can't put like a gun to my head and say it but there's no way it's allowed it would have happened um fair enough but yeah and the last thing before i leave you guys because obviously we do have a departing team with heretics coming in and obviously that's misfits and we'll gloss over for now who they may or may not have fucked over and just immediately pulling the plug with apparently not telling any of their staff members but in terms of misfits how what would your be like one memory of them like what is their legacy or do they even have one like lucy what do you what do you think of when you think of our friends at misfits um the first thing i think of is actually the alfari maxwell roster i want it is it maxwell yeah Uh, the five game skt yeah i think that's the first thing i think of because i think that's just when i was um getting into esports and i think that's the first time that i actually came across the team so that's what i know them for and i think handsome was on the roster too um but apart from that i don't really have any memories with them unfortunately (laughs) well they had their 15 minutes in lucy's household so that's that's (laughs) that's something what what about what about you kira what do you what will you take away from from misfits that they thought spending millions on um, Gorilla to play Engage Heroes was a good idea. Oh, that, ba- that was a banging roster. Yeah, they, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It was, no, no, like, what do you call it? That was... My God. What were they oh, thinking? yeah, that one was an absolute fucking... That was a Jeez. shit show of a roster. That's the worst... That, I'm with sorry. And Soaz. With Febivin and Soaz as, oh, yeah. like, as building blocks, right? But then every other block that they put in the house was made of solid shit. And, like, the, the house was... That was it. The house was fucked. No, that, this that was... That was it. Honestly, I, I genuinely consider that roster to be more of a fuck up than like the Nehun oh. OG roster because you had basically by signing that roster, you're telling everyone you had for that off season unlimited supplies mm. essentially, and that's what you do with it. Like, are you fucking kidding me? The one memory that I will always have, or the first thing I always think of whenever I think of misfits, is anyway. Uh, on that bombshell, uh, thank you for joining us and goodbye. <laughs>